everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Proud to Work in Cannabis podcast. Very excited for the two guests, two friends that I have on the podcast today. Today we have Emily Paxia, the founder and managing director, managing partner at Poseidon, as well as Rosie Matteo, the founder and CEO of Matteo Communications. This is a fun one because three of us have had a text chain going for, I don't know, five years or, or, or something. We've known each other for a very long time. We've been in this boat seemingly rowing together for a long time. And in our uh, text thread last week, we were like, why are, why do we not go out? Why do we not have like our own podcast? So we thought we'll start out with one episode. If it's a big hit, you know, we may be back, but, uh, Ladies, thanks for coming. Please leave a rating interview. <laughs> Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us, Carson. So I think most people know us by now, but why don't we do intros? Emily, we'll start with you. Sure. Uh, Emily Paxia, co-founder, managing partner of Poseidon. Poseidon is an investment firm that has been investing in cannabis since January 2014, which I, I told Rose, I think I told both of you last week when we actually domiciled and like set up our, our, our structure was August, 2013. So we're coming up on our 10 year anniversary of Poseidon being in existence. So pretty excited. And I'm Rosie Matteo, as Chris said, I'm founder and CEO of Matteo Communications. I think at this point we're the largest cannabis communications firm in the space. Um, I started with Wilma Women Show also about eight years ago, October of 2014. Right, so that's eight years. Uh, oh, we're coming on nine years, actually, a little over eight years. All right, so eight years in space. Uh, we do public relations, investor relations, social media content, SEO across the supply chain, and paid media. I represent close to 65, 65 companies, including Poseidon and Next. So great to be here with you guys today. And one of the cool things about this episode is that you know Emily is invested in a lot of the leading public and private companies. And Rosie represents a lot of the leading public and private companies. And so we're really the three, and, and of course, banks hires for a lot of these companies. So we have so many like mutual companies and contacts. And I feel like we have a really uh, deep understanding of, in terms of what's going on in the space, just based on the people that we work with all day, every day. So today, you know, before we started recording this podcast, Rosie, Emily, and I made a list of all the things that we wanted to talk about. We're definitely not going to be able to fit them all in to one, but you know, we wanted to talk a little bit about the overall economy updates and how that translates to cannabis and some of our predictions, the job market inside and outside of cannabis, just the general predictions around um, venture-backed companies and the mass extinction coming for those, and just uh, you know, overall strategy, communication on how to right size a business, how to manage this period of time. And then we've got some fun topics around just the importance of mentors, friendships, and all the things needed uh, to get through these next 24 months. So uh, I guess we could call it like uh, Carson, Emily, and Rosie's uh, survival guide to 2023 and 2024. So, you know, I think I wanted to start out, and this was actually a topic that I'm super excited we're doing on this podcast because, Emily, I was about to pick up the phone and, and call you about it, but just the overall economy. I think that in December, the general consensus was, all right, we're, we're likely heading into a recession in 2023. Now, last week, with the, with, with the latest updates, it seems as though we may have a softer landing, right? The Fed said that we only have two 25 basis points to go, so that seemed like a really positive update. Um, and then the jobs report came out, and there was 517,000 new jobs, two times more than December. And so it felt, you know, it feels a little bit like it's just, 
you know, a little bit confusing, uh, the, these, these signals. So, Emily, as the investor and the person that knows a lot more about this than I do, what is your take just on the general overall economy? Because it seems to maybe be not as bad as we thought it was in December. Well, I mean, it, it really depends on, on how you characterize bad. I think what I, I don't care about broad terms. It, what I look at is what's happening with the consumer. And I can't help but notice that, you know, gas prices, while they've come down, are still not where they were. People are feeling the pinch. And I think all the data that I'm reading is indicating that the consumer is getting into trouble. Credit card debt is the highest it's ever been. People are living paycheck to paycheck in a tighter fashion than they have. Car loans are defaulting at a higher rate than 2009. These are not strong indicators that people are feeling good about their personal finances. And all the while, they're continuing to raise families, feed kids, eating eggs that cost a gazillion dollars a carton. I mean, it is a tough time for the consumer out there. And when you look at the December spending data, it wasn't a great holiday season. So I think we're really starting. And, and I mean, you can see it too. I mean, Apple is a perfect bellwether around how the consumer is feeling about products if they're missing on their revenue targets and seeing a drawdown in terms of their projections. I mean, the fact that they even cut their um, the design person indicates to me that they're going to start to really streamline their operations over there. And, you know, when a trillion dollar market cap company is taking those steps, I can't help but think about the trickle down effects throughout the rest of the economy. So I like how the, the Fed is now talking about a soft landing. I mean, the Fed was wrong the whole time that it was saying that, you know, this was a transient um, experience. Inflation was starting to run rampant. I think they were too delayed on, on starting to execute on these rate hikes. And I think what we've seen is a really volatile market on the backside of that. So it will definitely have repercussions on, on our industry. And I think, unfortunately, I know we're going to talk about the jobs report, but the other thing I'm seeing is that people are working multiple jobs now to support their household. And I think it's going to impact our industry in terms of where people are able to gain employment to support their families the way that they really need to in this environment. And I think speaking of the jobs report, maybe, you know, part of the reason is, is that I think I read something recently that like a trillion in savings was burned through. So maybe people are, you know, returning to work, right? That 517,000 number to your point, right? People are going back to work and working because they need income. I mean, what, what's your read on the jobs report? Because obviously that was much higher than was expected. And I think everybody was pretty surprised by it. So, you know, I'm curious your take on that, Emily. You know, I think that we as a society have not acknowledged, I'm a psychology person by background, and it does really impact the way I think about investing and what goes on in the markets. Um, I don't think we addressed sufficiently the psychological trauma of what happened during the pandemic when we shut the whole world down. And I think on the backside of that, we saw the quiet quitting, we saw the quitting, um, and we saw, you know, people were receiving checks at home. There's been this sense that the government is going to bail us out no matter what's going on. I mean, this ha it continues to happen. It bailed out in 2008, 2009, bailed out again during the pandemic, which was an exceptional circumstance. So there was some need for that to support people. Um, but I think what we saw on the backside of that was an absolute spending spree. And I know how I felt when we, I mean, we talked about it, Rosie and, and Carson was like, never lock me down again. Like I am getting on a plane. Like we are doing all the things. Cabo. Yes. Cabo. We, went. we went, we went, the three of us went, we went, some of us got COVID. Most of us didn't. Yeah. 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 I mean, we, we were part of that. We were part of that uh, spending spree. We were. And, but we also save, I think we're prudent with our finances. Yes. We didn't go this year. How about that? We did not go this year. There you go. 
Yes. And so you saw these peak savings rates. People were saving and banking cash during the pandemic because they couldn't spend it to the extent that they wanted to. And um, I mean, I even say it like, we need we need more fundraising galas so I can spend money on ball gowns. <laughs> like that's a sidebar. But I think that when I look at what happened after that is the savings have drastically depleted. People went back to living because maybe they had this sense of like, who knows what comes next? We had a global pandemic that shut us down. Uh, I just saw the doomsday clock is sitting at the closest to midnight that it's ever sat, which is basically saying that we're the closest to a nuclear situation, given the Ukraine and Russia situation. People are living minute to minute because of this. And I think we really have overlooked um, how we can support people to feel a little safer about what the future holds. But nonetheless, here we are, we're finding ourselves in a, a credit crisis. And I think, pe or I mean, I think what is amounting to that, given the depleted savings, um, and people are finding that they regret the quitting, and they're having to get back to work. And so I do think, and I know, like you guys, we all traveled the last few years, we've seen the shortage of people working at the airlines and the airports, we've seen it even in Vegas, I feel like everywhere I went at MJ Biz, every restaurant was commenting that they don't have enough staff. And for Vegas, a, a hospitality-born zone, this is a this is a real challenge. But now it's starting to come back. So people are getting back to work. So I do think that's an important thing. But whether or not what they're being paid as they go back to work will support where inflation has brought us and the cost of capital now is a different story. Yeah. So I think like regardless of how you slice it, regardless of you know, what the Fed said last week and the jobs report, like we're in a highly volatile moment. And so in just the overall economy. So, you know, based on that, we have that on the one hand, then we add cannabis in where, of course, you know, cannabis investing was down 96% year over year last year. It was absolutely borderline impossible to raise cash in cannabis and cannabis businesses are met with you know, needing to pay their workers more. Cannabis businesses are um, dealing with needing to raise their prices. And so, of course, it was just, you know, a, a borderline bloodbath for the cannabis industry last year. And now we're going into 2023 where it's just very uncertain. Um, so, so how do you think these broader trends in the economy um, translate down to cannabis? And, and I'm curious from where both of you sit, sort of what you're predicting for cannabis for 2023, just based on the sheer uncertainty in the overall market, let alone the uncertainty in cannabis? I mean, I think it's going to be a different year, you know, for the past couple of years, you know, growth at all costs, which has been a lot of different industries. And something very smart just said this year, it's going to if flat will be the new growth. If we can stay flat, like that'll be a win, right? You're saying people are getting hired in other industries, right? So people coming to cannabis, they're going to expect those higher wages. Like there are in other industries, if there's like a, you know, a hiring spree, but the cost of goods is still high. The cannabis companies, you know, COGS is huge for them. So I, I think it's going to be an issue. So like, if I'm being optimistic, I'd be so happy if we we're flat, but the first month of the, of the year doesn't seem to be that way. I think it's going to be very, very rough road, very rough road for the next year. You know, I, I told, uh, I think I told both of you my new year's resolution because 2022 felt bad. I, was really, I felt like it was body blow after body blow in this industry. And we've already been in a bear market. So I think we're fatigued to begin with. And, and then when the macro conditions started to layer on and everybody went risk off and capital really on the equity side of cannabis 
just completely shut off. And then we saw everybody's levering up and underwriting to debt is a lot harder than people would think. And like, we're seeing the challenges with IIPR now in terms of like King's Garden and some of these things. I think it's just not, it's not easy. It's never been easy. And, um, but yet I think it, it comes down again to kind of your outlook on it. And the way I've been thinking about 2023 is first half of 2023 will substantially still be difficult. Um, and I think that I was just like, you got to focus on stamina and a path of grace. Like I used to run the 800 meter um, in high school and it's broken up into four 200 meter segments. And the third of of those segments is always the hardest because you're you're no longer fresh legs out of the gate. You settled into your rhythm and you still have a lot to go in that race, relatively speaking. I feel like we're in the third 200 before something really significant happens here. And I will say one thing I have noticed is that leadership in our industry, I think, was catalyzed by the failure in the legislative branch in 2022. It was a real missed opportunity. And what I'm hearing from leadership that I talk to across the biggest companies and all the way down to smaller companies is that we need to be aligned as an industry and work together, just like Big Tobacco does, like any other industry. I mean, not to align us with Big Tobacco, but I'm just thinking about other groups that have come together and worked to get um, change at the federal level or at least acknowledgement at the federal level. So hopefully we'll see some change. But I would say everybody, you know, we did. I know we've all talked about it. And Carson, you said it like you had to do hard work through 2022 to make sure that you had the time to get through 2023, at least. And I think that's the hard work done in 2022 will pay dividends. It's all about, as Morgan says, um, survive in advance. Yeah, you know, I think we were, of course, the the Twitter thread that was going around. I'll read it to the audience for people that haven't heard it. But Tom Lavero prediction, there's a mass extinction event coming for early and mid-stage companies. Late 2023 and 2024 will look the two will make the 2008 financial crisis look quaint for startups. Below, I explain when, why, and how it will start and offer detailed advice to founders on surviving the looming die-off. And then it goes into a really, really long tweet. You know, when we think about cannabis, right, that's not, that, that, that thread isn't, you know, was not targeted at cannabis, but I think about cannabis and all the additional challenges that uh, cannabis has. So if there is a mass extinction coming for early and mid-sized companies in late 2023, 2024, feels like a very uh, scary situation for cannabis companies. So I want to take some, a little bit of this time to talk up to, to people that are listening who are running companies or working on companies around how they can be one of the surviving companies. And we've got two great people here that can help from, you know, Rosie. Rosie, I think well, I'm going to actually start out with Emily to talk about some of the tacticals and then move to Rosie to talk around some of the communication strategies because I think both are important. But, you know, Emily, given that we, we talked about what's going on in the broader economy, times are tough, mass extinction coming for early and mid-stage companies outside of cannabis, times that by 10 in cannabis. What are you telling your companies to do to actually be part of the groups that survive um, this year? Yeah, Um, good question. So starting in May and June last year when we saw the economic setup happening, we basically went through the portfolio and where we could we worked with founders to make sure you had anywhere from 24 to 36 months. Now, it depends on the stage of the company and um, and 
you know, the later stage, like, I can't even believe this, but I'm saying companies who are later stage, like your stage, Carson, you know, it's a conversation about what's your, I've revised my whole conversation to bear case, base case, bull case, right? And thinking about um, a path to free cash flow. I mean, arguably companies at your stage and, and the stage of companies that I'm talking about, they should just be able to focus on growth. Now, I think I do differentiate from the tech investor cohort because we've never known where the next round of capital would come from in cannabis. And so the growth at all costs mindset hasn't really been a luxury we've been able to afford. And so we have always really been careful about looking at the quality, as I talk about the quality of revenue, right? So what is your LTV to CAC? What's your payback period? What is your, um, as Morgan was talking about what uh, David Sachs, the growth um, from Craft Ventures, um, the burn ratio, you know, these are important metrics to understand the sustainability of a business. Like this is not a time when an Uber is going to be um, getting the love at, the, at an earlier stage because it was just a blitz blitz um, strategy. And so I think that uh, it's just a different time. And and we've always thought about that, you know, it's, and the, the MSOs and the operators that I know have always said, like, you have to grow, but you can't run out of cash. You always have to know that you can have a balance sheet at the ready and how are you going to do it? And so those have been really the mantras we've lived by. And, and I was cracking up because I saw that Instagram pushed you a hat that said EBITDA on it. And it's like, we, I, I don't know, Rosie, like Carson, we've lived in an EBITDA world. I feel like we were EBITDA and now we're free cash flow. And I feel like everybody else is now finally, it, X cannabis is now talking about EBITDA. Like it's this new metric that they just invented, but it's like, no, we have lived in EBITDA world forever. And now we're like free cash flow. So, so we did do a lot of work with the companies and to your point about, you know, right sizing organizations and streamlining headcount that has been a part of it. And it's been difficult, but I always say to the founders, you know, if we, if we don't survive, we can't employ people again. Right. So sometimes you have to kind of do a right sizing so you can continue to move forward and then you can be a person that hires people again, a company that hires people again. And headcount is generally cannabis companies' number one expense. And so in the efforts of right sizing, headcount reductions, riffs, seems like that's like the number one thing that people need to do. Rosie, from your where you sit, how important is communication in all this and what kind of strategies can you give to people if we're a business that needs to go through a right size from internal communication to external communication, help us with the playbook here. Yeah, well, well, I think internal communication um, is important because, and we see this in cannabis companies specifically. A lot of young employees are part of it, and they are they are the voice, right? They get out there, they have friends, they're talking about it, right? So, and that's the way that your your image can can totally be sullied if you don't handle a right sizing right. So, the right type of communication to your employees is super important, obviously. Some companies are not are, are not afforded the luxury of going to their to their employees first because you know maybe they're publicly traded and some of the stuff can't be afforded you know to be leaked because of like disclosure reasons. But you know communicating with your employees who are your boys is very important. And then also you know I get these calls all the time. Oh my God, we're going to be doing you know a rip. We're going to be doing layoffs. What do we do? Well, fortunately and unfortunately, this is an everyday occurrence in cannabis. So these uh, founders who come to me, your CEOs, you say you know how are we going to manage this message? We're on this boat together, right? And just uh, stay in your case of why you had to. People understand now, and just being pretty forthcoming um, is really the name of the game. People understand what's happening. It's not only happening in cannabis. 
the day, you know, some of these cannabis companies announce their risk is the day after Microsoft did, right? So if these, you know, huge companies are doing it and cannabis, which were 10 times compounds with some of these issues have to do it, just being really forthcoming, being timely um, is really the name of the game. And also I tell, you know, I tell founders or CEOs all the time, because this is sort of a run of the mill thing, which is, like I said, unfortunate, you actually don't always have to respond to the media that come to you, right? Because you want to be able to control the message and you've done a good job to your external uh, touch points and your internal, you said what you have to say and you don't have to keep going forward. So it's really managing uh, the communication flow and, and keeping it you know, contained is, is really how you do it. When, when people are looking around, all right, I know I need to reduce my costs. I know I need to do a riff. Emily, how do you guide people in, you know, where to start looking to do it? I, I was listening to a good podcast the other day, and they were talking about how at Facebook, there was a quote that came out that said, you know, you don't want, we don't want managers, managing managers, managing managers, managing managers, managing individual contributors. And over the last several years, it seems like there's been so many layers. And so like undoing those layers is a place, you know, where I would think to look to start. You know, when I look at our business, that's where I've sort of looked to start. But I want to know, you know, do you think that's the right approach? And if you're guiding founders on where to cut and how to think about where to cut, like where do you even start? So our, I don't think most of our organizations have gotten as bloated as what I was seeing what's going on at Meta. Just, I mean, that was 12 years of a bull cycle running hot. Um, so a strong tailwind. So I think that that all of a sudden, these things, this is why we have market cycles. I mean, these things happen. And then all of a sudden you look around and you're like, oh my God, what does anybody even do at this company? So, I mean, that's when they, they bring in the bobs or like the uh, consultants to come in and evaluate the businesses. But we're just not there yet. And I think one of the things that when I do, when, we're, when I'm on a board and we start talking about it, um, is we talk about the key leadership. Like who are, who are the folks really driving the organization? And then doing interviews with them to try to understand who's working with them and who, you know, who are the necessary people, who are the people that um, have been kind of faltering and you can like kind of work with them through a, a more comfortable economic time versus like who's who's really going to contribute to this organization on their own. And so, you know, we do look at at all of those things, but I do look to leadership to help guide that because, I'm one of those people that if you, you know, as us investors, we always say this trite thing where we're like, we invest in people. But if you invest in people, then you have to really actually look to the people to help to give you the feedback about their businesses. Many investors are, you know, I, I think of us, I, I've told you this too. It's like we're critics, you know, we get to sit on the sideline and and give the feedback to the operating companies like you too and, you know, walk away at the end of the day. But I just believe in in relying on the operational expertise of the management team and and getting the good feedback. Now, this doesn't mean that operational, you know, acumen isn't faltering at times with the team or or you know misguided, but I think you just have to have a really good compass for for what you're hearing in the feedback. So we do look at, at the leadership team, and I will spend time going through headcount with founders, just trying to look at things like oh what. What are what's this group in marketing all about, or what's going on in the sales organization? And one of the things we've also been talking about is maybe we need to think, rethink how we structure incentives around um, like sales uh, teams. And it, because if if the way we're selling into these companies is changing, 
because I know there's like a lot of turnover within the com- customers, which tend to be the operating vertically integrated operators. So if those groups are changing, do we have to rethink about our sales strategy in terms of who we're interfacing with inside the organization to sell in? So there's a lot that's going on. I don't I don't believe in a blunt instrument approach to headcount or to compensation strategies. And I think that that's really important to have a refined perspective on it. Rosie, what are examples of things where you've seen these right sizings go wrong from a communication standpoint? And how can people avoid the mistakes you've seen made out there? I think that, you know, the truth always happens, right? So it's the best of your ability to be as honest about your situation and how you came to this decision. So you come across as compassionate in a very difficult situation is really the way to do it. Um, Also, like I said, sometimes it's unavoidable, but making sure that, um, you know, that like leaders of teams are prepared to um, chat with like the the people who are under them, right? Or they're, they're, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, My my brain's not working right now, but just making sure that internally you're taking care of your team. Because like I said, everybody's on social media. Everybody is, is, everybody turns each other within within this industry. It's very small. So I really believe it starts from within. And then just communicating like to the to the right stakeholders, you know, in in which the manner that they're used to getting it, right? Like your board, your investors probably should not find out via press release, right? Like if they're key stakeholders, and it happens a lot of time, and they get they get noisy and they get loud. So really taking stock of like who your key stakeholders are and in what order they need to be informed really sets you up for success. That's a great tip. And, and Emily, I'm curious, because I know you said in the beginning, in the like, Q2 of last year, you were sitting down with founders and you were saying, okay, you know, we're really hoping to help you get to 24 to 36 months of cash. The, the feedback that I'm hearing right now is like, forget about runway, get to profitability, control your own destiny, don't have to raise again. And so I do feel like the narrative, you know, continues to, to get more and more drastic of, hey, the goal is to get 18 months of cash, get 24 months of cash, 36 months of cash. And now it's like, get profitable, control your own destiny, don't have to raise again. So I'm curious uh, where you are on that spectrum um, today. Yeah. um, You know, when I was sharing about the the 24 to 36 months, I mean, first of all, in our world, 24 months is two years, right? In cannabis, that's a really long time. So I mean, in three years too, I mean, so it's, it's a lot, a lot of things can change. So when we were setting those horizons, you'd you know, that was with some of the earlier stage companies. It's a harder path to get to profitability without completely um, slowing growth to almost nothing when you're in the earlier stages like that. So it's a fine line because I, I'm hearing investors say you want growth of profitability. Okay. <laughs> that's that's really hard to achieve, actually. Um, and so Godspeed. But, you know, I think at your stage of company, we... <sighs> substantially our companies are on a path to profitability. And I think that was a lot of work. And sometimes it wasn't just one cut, it was two. And you hate to make two cuts because it does, uh, you know, it does trigger a lack of confidence in the organization. But sometimes you just have to read the way that the industry is shaping up. I mean, I think we would all say that December of last year was just absolutely um, awful to experience. That's when December, 2022, December, 2022, December, 2022. That's when we really learned that banking wouldn't get, um, included in any of the reform at the federal level. And I think 
what that did for our op- for our ancillary companies that serve the operating companies was that they were like, okay, we gotta we gotta make it even further moves on this because we don't know to your point about a mass extinction event or the budget constraints of the of the core customer base, like what's going to happen in the next year. Yeah, I mean, I I think the overarching message that, and again, this is my opinion. I would say this to anyone asking me is like, get profitable and control your own destiny. I mean, Rosie and Emily, we've seen some gnarly, gnarly financing rounds with just Predatory. devastating Predatory. terms. Yeah, we would rather just close down than 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 take some of these terms. It's turning this industry upside down. Yeah. Right. So if you're listening right now and you don't have a profitable business. It's hard, but the three of our advice would be get there. You know, I'm working on doing it at our company. And it's painful, the things you have to do, right? You know, we've had growth, we've had culture, we've done all those things. And the things that that were fun about this industry are not fun right now, but we're setting ourselves up for success. You have to remind yourself and your people of that, right? This is to protect the business. And now let's, let's look forward. So we know we have this rough patch that we need to get, that we need to get through. But, you know, the three of us are all, in this, we're in it indefinitely, we're on this road. What keeps each of you getting out of bed every morning and continuing to go for it? Like, you know, it's gonna be a hard time, but you know, what is at the other end of the rainbow for each of you? Well, well for us, you know, we are trickled down from this industry, right? What's the first thing that goes marketing? So we've definitely not been immune to what's happening in the space. But I remind myself when we get these emails, and this is what keeps me going at night, is any single client that we have lost over the past couple months, because things have been tough, the email that comes to them, you can tell the CEO, whoever it is, is in tears that they can't do this anymore because the work is so excellent, right? And I'm a firm believer if you work hard and live in integrity and do the right things and you're a, a great company, this will come back. As long as you can weather the storm, you come back stronger. So I think the team is what really keeps me going, knowing that the work is excellent and that you know we provide a lot of value. Unfortunately, people can't afford the value right now, but we know that if we can weather through, they'll come back and we'll be better for it. Even at the beginning of COVID, like ended up being a boon for the cannabis industry. Those first few days, when people didn't know what was going to happen. The world was shutting down. The first few weeks or months, like I think we lost like 10 clients. We thought our company was going out of business. Like we were freaking out. We thought we had to raise money to keep the, the lights on. It turned out being our best year, right? Because we continued to do the hard work. We made good decisions. We invested in the team. And I'm hopeful, and I think to myself, we made through that hard time, and it was our best year ever. We can make it through this rough road. We'll come up that much stronger and uh, secure our position as a leading agency. I mean, maybe a little too rah-rah, but that is really what keeps me going. And you guys, of course. My friends. Yes. True friends. And people who also I admire in terms of the way they run their business. And that's what that's what keeps me going. I think that my um, the thing that has kept me going through this is to look at people... I admire in non-cannabis businesses and look at what they've gone through. You know, some of the people who are my mentors, they'll, they'll t- extremely successful people. They'll tell me stories of being up at night in their kitchen with their wife or their, their partner, just absolutely stressed about what could possibly come next and having to face that head on. And I think that, um, knowing that people, I, I like even Stu Butterfield from Slack, he talked about one time his mom had to float him to make payroll. You know, I mean, these things happen. It is hard. And I I don't know, it's 
we definitely deserve a W and, and it'd be nice if we got a win on the board here as an industry. <laughs> um, but in the meantime, I don't know. I think we just keep going and I try to just look at what, how people I admire have gone through things and, and listen to my friends and colleagues in the industry, which I do feel fortunate. I feel like we do have a great, great group of people that we get to work with who do inspire me every day to keep going. And, um, that's how I keep going. I also just love building businesses. And so, you know, as much as I love, I, you know, seeing people being employed by businesses, I love being, seeing doors open. I love seeing new products being launched. I mean, there's lots of evidence that there's a lot of good things happening here. And so I try to really focus in on the businesses, not so much um, some of the, the noise on the outside. Yeah. And I think for me, like as a first time founder, uh, again, to your point around you listen to people that have gone through these cycles before, right? And they take, they have so many learnings. I'm, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a whole new experience, a whole new learning. Like even this conversation that we just had about the economy a couple years ago when the economy was rip roaring, I'm not listening in to the feds calls about interest rates rising, right? I'm, if, if, you know, Carson from five years ago is listening to this, I'd be like, what are you talking about? And so I do feel like, for the founders and the teams that take this moment as like a learning opportunity to understand what's going on, you'll be able to better understand next time around, right? And so I do think there's a really great learning opportunity for all of us as whether we're founders, employees, investors, to learn in this moment to inevitably be stronger the next time around because everyone that I speak to that's, you know, 20, 30 years ahead of me in their career says, this happens, so get used to it and learn from it. I always think about that cheesy meme where it's like um, the mountain, like it, it, and then it's all the things that like are under the mountain that made it like get to its greatness or its peak, right? So you have to realize like nobody gets to the top without the struggles. And you have to remind yourself that one of my favorite quotes about entrepreneurship is uh, entrepreneurship is living like most people won't. So one day you can live like most people can't, right? So it's very, very hard. Um, and, but if you make those sacrifices, you live and work in integrity. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm very positive, I guess right here, things tend to work out for themselves. So if, if you struggle through it, you will make it on top. I tell myself this, hopefully it'll come true, but that that's one of the mantras I tell myself every morning when I wake up and, it, and it's pretty, pretty hard right now. Yeah. Let, let's talk about that a little bit. Right. I mean, we're all here talking about, you know, trying to give other people advice. I think we're constantly trying to give each other advice, but you know, we're all also operating and running our own and founders of our own businesses. And it's been, you know, a, a tough, uh, it's been like a little bit of a tough road. What are your tricks on the personal level for you to be able to show up attempting to be the best version of yourself every day, even when there's a lot of hard things going on in the external world? Like what are your personal tricks that uh, you do? I mean, for me personally, I try to start my day with two things, with gratitude and a workout, right? Um, I'm a firm believer that your your day starts the moment you wake up and, and what you put out there sets the tone, like, and you can flip the script. So every morning I start out by saying three things I'm grateful for in my head, and then I hit a workout. And that's starting the day doing something really hard. That's I, I say this every single day in my Instagram stories, start the day doing something hard. So when I get it heavy lift and I'm out of breath. I did something hard. I'm like, well, I did something hard today. I can do many, many other hard things. And those are two things that are non-negotiables for me. A workout and, and three things I'm grateful for. And then my morning text, Emily and Carson, right? Girl, <laughs> <laughs> we can do this. We got this. It's Tuesday. We got this. Emily, what about you? 
Yeah, you know, it's really similar. I mean, I get up at five every morning, sometimes earlier, but mostly five in the morning. And Emily Paxi is always awake. If I wake up at five in the morning, she's awake. So she literally does not sleep this person. It is a it is I don't wake up at five in the morning. You know, I feel like that's my one thing. I, I'm jealous like of people that wake up at five in the morning. Don't be. There's, I mean, there's so much day to have when you do that. I, I, I don't know. I get up and, and same thing, Rosie, like I absolutely destroy myself in my workout in the morning because it's just like, I just view it as it's all conditioning because if you find some, if you can surpass something that's incredibly hard, you can surpass the next thing that's incredibly hard. And I just think we're all, it's the mind body connection. It's, it's getting the frenetic energy out. And then it allows me to really focus in on what I have to get done in the day. So, um, and, and, and it's like a little bit, if everything else goes wrong, at least you kind of accomplished something in, in the day. Yeah. So I do, what do you do? Tell us. Well, well, I was going to say, I, 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 well, yeah, I don't do what you guys do. I maybe I should. <laughs> um, I I do start out the day with gratitude journal, right? I write out the ten things I'm grateful for and why, and say them out loud. And ten things is a lot of things, and so sometimes it's like I'm grateful for this amazing cup of coffee that I'm about to drink because live in a place where I can walk down the street and get a cup of coffee, right? Little stupid things like that. And I do my workout after work because I feel like throughout the day like so much gets built up that then just on my way home from work turning it all off and like working it out is is that's just worked for me I used to be a morning workout person and now I've become a nighttime workout person and um, that's kind of sticking but it's it, it, the one other habit that I have that's like a leading habit that like when I do it I think other things fall into place I'm always trying to learn something so I try to listen to a podcast or an audiobook or something because I feel like when I'm hearing about other people um, that are doing really cool things and are like inspiring, that makes me like want to work to be more like them or work to incorporate something like that into my life. So I would say like learning is the one other piece that I just try to fit in a little bit every day. And it just kind of like keeps me grounded. But I I think it's super, super important um, because I know for the three of us, like whenever we find ourselves getting out, out of balance, it's when we're not doing these things for ourselves that trickle into to the rest of, you know, our business and our life. Yeah, absolutely. And Rosie, like you, you're really good at inspiring me to take walks. Um, Cause sometimes I'll just get chained to the computer, but, and Carson, to your exact point, like I will take walks and that's when I listen to what I can learn. Um, and so I do listen to a lot of podcasts or books or things like that. So while I'm walking, so it's maybe it's a little bit of rationalizing how I spend my time, but it does help me to get out and take a walk. And I try to do that at the end, quote unquote, was it Clayton Christensen always said, like, you can't, you're never done. If you're an entrepreneur, your day is never over. You just, you have to end it at some point. This is something so. I've added to, because as all, we could all be attached to our emails and phones and texts all day long. And the one thing I added uh, this year is at night, I'm reading a half an hour before I go to bed. And I'm putting my phone, I, I still sleep in my phone next to my bed because I'm crazy, but I do remove it from my room for that half an hour because otherwise it's all work all the time and you need to separate and just not be so, you know, attached to the digital. So that, that's been a hack. I, I got to keep doing it, but that's been a new one. So we basically have very, we basically have all three of the same habits, Sorry. gratitude, ec- exercise and movement and uh, reading and learning. Rosie, you're a mom of four girls. Talk to us about mom life and entrepreneur life 
and you work out every single day and you're doing your gratitude journal and you're learning. It's like, you know, they, they say, the saying is like, you want to get something done, give it to the most busy person. I mean, that is Rosie Matteo in a nutshell. Talk to us about mom plus entrepreneur. I mean, actually, they say you want, you want something done, give it to a mother, actually. That, that's really what it is because mothers are the ultimate multitaskers. You can tell by the way I talk, like I have a very frenetic energy. My day needs to be filled or like I'm actually very... I'm, um, it's a comfortable to be around me when I'm not busy. So this is for like my family's sake that I stay so busy, but really, you know, and I, I don't talk about them enough. And I've been doing this thing actually every week where I've been saying the thing I'm grateful for next week. It's for my husband, Dan Matthew. Okay. Because people think I do it all, but I am a working mother. I have a stay at home husband. So that makes it a lot easier. I have a lot of help at home. So, because there is that mom guilt. I'm on the road a lot. I'm working all the time, but I do know my children are well cared for. So that makes it a lot easier. But also one of my goals this year was just to be more present mother. Like I could work all the time. Um, and it's a balance. I do miss things. Like I, I miss plays. I, I miss, I, I try not to, I don't think I missed a birthday yet, but um, uh, hopefully I won't. But, you know, I just want to see people who likes to stay busy. And, I, and I'm hoping, I'm hoping that I'm setting a good example for my daughter, Eva. We live in an area where most women do not work and their husbands work. So we have a different family dynamic. And I just tell myself when I'm feeling a little down about not being like the best mother that I can be is that I'm just setting a different example. We have a different lifestyle and hopefully they'll learn from it and be proud of it one day and not be like my mother was never around and my mom didn't care about us. But um, it's, it's not easy and it's a balance and I work on it every single day. Not easy. And we were talking, Rosie and I, we were in Miami last week and we were with uh, our friend Jen, and we were talking about how, like, it's super important to all of us so that when our daughters or granddaughters or great-granddaughters go to start businesses, it's just, like, the norm, right? I mean, and, you know, I think one one thing that, you know, the, the three of us, have, I think we've done a good job on is, like, we don't, we never really make, ex we never really play the, like, business is so hard for us because we're women, Right? I've never heard either of you say that. I've never said that. And I think that's really important in changing the narrative for our daughters, granddaughters, everyone else. Like it needs to be, I'm starting a business and my business is going to be awesome because I have a great idea and I'm awesome and not letting those negative thoughts of, I'm not going to have as much luck because I'm a woman, like not even letting those thoughts um, cross into our mind. And I think like Rosie, you've done such a great job of just setting that example for your daughters of you can do anything you want. Like you're a woman and you have just as many, if not more advantages um, than men. So it's really inspiring to, to watch you do it in action. And also just it's that whole thing of waking up like where all three of us talking about like positivity, right? If you walk into a room and you're like, well, I'm a woman, I'm not going to be able to achieve something. You've already set yourself up for failure. And like Emily and I have talked about this before, like be in the room. Walk into that room and own it. I know it's not always easy. It's really not. Uh, we've been, three of us have been the only woman in a room. But guess what? You are then the unicorn, right? You're in a room with all these guys and you like, you're probably just as well educated. You're working just as hard as them. You, you deserve a seat at that table. And it's all about the mindset. Like you're setting yourself back by blaming other people for it. Yes, we know the, the statistics are there. Men raise money easier than women. But if you don't set yourself up with a positive, you know, attitude, you're never going to get that money. Never. Yeah, I think that's right. And you just have to keep showing up every single time. And one of the things we talk about collectively too is, is if you are the only one in the room, then invoke others, raise the name of a person that you respect that's a female or somebody from a diverse background, because that's a way that you can 
pull people along with you into the room. And I think that's a really important thing as females, you know, there used to be, I, I talk about this like sharp elbowed approach to, well, I got the seat at the board. So it's the only seat that a woman could have. So I have to, you know, defend this, but I don't see it that way. I always talk about like having an attitude of, of abundance and pulling people along. And I think it's, it is really important. And, and Rosie is absolutely right. Like if you can show up and, and offer something and be a part of the discourse, then you do stand out. Like I, like, Rosie, like her name is Rosie Matteo. Like we all know Matteo Communications. It's like the, as she said, the leading firm in the industry. And, and yet, but if all I, all I have to say is Rosie or Carson, like I don't even have to say your last names. Everybody knows who you guys are. Um, cause you do stand out in, in being a smaller number of, of us, of us females in leadership. So, which is disappointing. I think the elbow is an important thing, right? Like, like it's this idea of abundance. And I will say, I'll give an example of this. We were at, uh, Carson and I were down in Miami last week for a conference. Carson was on a panel. I sat down. Carson must have mentioned Matteo and my name a hundred times, three times during her panel, right? Like we have to support each other as women. And the only person that looks bad by, you know, talking poorly is that person who's talking poorly, right? So when you act in a place of abundance, you bring people along for ride, it's just so much more rewarding, right? And we can help each other, right? The more opportunities I have, the more opportunities I can give to Carson and vice versa. Wait, I thought, I thought, I thought you said if I promoted you on the panel, I would get a discount. <laughs> After the podcast, have you heard about 2023 cannabis offer <laughs> any discounts? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No I'm kidding. No, I, and I think that that's like a good point. You know, obviously in the beginning of this podcast, we're talking about you know, how hard the environment is. And that's one thing, but like your mindset and how you approach it, you, you can have a positive spin, right? Like this is an opportunity to get our business profitable so that when the other side of this comes, we can grow profitably. This is an opportunity to insert whatever, right? It's like, how do we all take a frankly, extremely, extremely difficult situation in our industry and turn it positive. And like, I love our friendship because I feel like we're constantly bringing each other up. And I see us doing that with everybody. Like our group chat could be so negative. And yeah, we have the occasional, um, you know, bitching about this or that. Um, but, but it's, it's very minor in comparison to what it could be. And most of the time it's just reframing a problem into a solution. And so, you know, in closing on all this, like I'm super grateful for both of your friendship. I don't think I could have made it this far without the two of you. And I really hope that everybody listens, make sure that you find good friends and good supporters that can bring you up because it's, it's really hard to make it, um, without, you know, with, without a group text, like the three of us have. So any, any closing thoughts from the two of you? Yeah, just one. I mean, cause one other thing that I think women's groups can, can do better for each other. And I think it's something the three of us do is like, we genuinely will have like, diff, like we'll have conversations about difficult things, give each other feedback on things. Like it's not, it's not all rah, rah, rah all the time. It's like, this is hard. And so I think that that's, that's a really important thing. It's like, um, you know, compassionate honesty with each other about what we're dealing with. And I feel like that's really important for, for women that we don't have to always just be cheerleaders because sometimes the most important thing you can do is, is really be a good feedback uh, system. And I know both of you have been that for me. And so I think that's really important. Yeah. Like we're like, you know, I think we've all given each other like real legitimate hard feedback. And I think that's what everyone wants and needs, right? Like if, if I'm doing something that 
outsiders looking in are like, that doesn't really seem like the best business move. Or, um, you know, Rosie says, don't post that on Instagram, you know, like things like that. Uh, I think we all give each other real time, real feedback and it's so helpful. All right. Well, let's do it again. I mean, we're at 49 minutes. Let's check back in in a couple months. See where we'll do, we'll do another uh, macro cannabis positivity uh, mindset podcast. So thanks so much for jumping on. It was a really good time having you. Hashtag Rosalie. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.